0: Welcome to the first episode of It Doesn't Look Good, brought to you by Hope Against Hope. I'm your host, Tim, and I'm so excited to finally share the show with you guys every Tuesday until the last episode for season one. Today is all about me. Well, sort of. I thought it would be a good idea for the first story we tell to be my own. So for the next two weeks, I'll do just that. Although not every story will consist of two episodes this one just felt a bit too long for one so we split it into two so make sure you come back next week to hear the second half and since the subject today is me i'm joined by a fill-in host my best bud charles who actually joins us again as a guest later in the season so without further ado here's the show
1: start from the beginning
0: okay sure so Uh, If you don't know any of the story, a lot of it is on Facebook on the Hope Against Hope page. But basically in 2017, it was May 13th actually, my wife Caitlin was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. We went to the ER. She had been up all night long with severe abdominal pain. And she woke me up. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. We went to the ER. She had told me, hey, I haven't been able to sleep all night long, and I just I really have to to go. And coming from her, that was a big deal just because she was not the type of person who would generally want to go to the doctor or... She used to make fun of me because I'm the type of person that I'm a severe hypochondriac. I would go to the doctor for literally anything. If I have uh, an ache in my leg, I'm like, oh no, I need to go to the doctor and figure out what's going on. Hmm. So she used to make me like have four or five different ailments before she would she would say, okay, fine, you can go to the doctor. Hmm. Um, so it was a big deal for her to, to wake me up super early in the morning. For a Saturday at seven o'clock, and say, "Hey, we we definitely need to go to the ER." So we went, and we were there for you know forty five minutes or so, and then they said that they were going to take her back for an MRI or a CAT scan. At this point, it was a CT scan, and so prior to this, we had been working on you know getting pregnant and starting a family and and everything that comes with that. So. Back in June of 2016, she was having issues conceiving. Nothing was working. We had gone down all of the avenues that uh, you go down for not being able to conceive. And we ended up at her OB's office, and they said that she had endometriosis. What is that? So, honestly, um, that's been so long, and ended up not being the case obviously that i couldn't i couldn't give you just a perfect definition
1: anything but like that that you don't know it is it sounds scary yeah anyway.
0: absolutely sounds scary uh, endometriosis fibroids fibroids she did have they're basically kind of like benign tumors yeah but obviously she had malignant tumors as well but we'll get into that so so endometriosis fibroids And they suggested that she go to a OB oncologist. And so we, you know, of course, at that point, this, again, is June, July of 2016. So we're we're preparing to go to this oncologist for fibroids and endometriosis just to rule out cancer. Talk about terrifying then. So we get there. She does an exam. And at the end of the exam, she basically tells us, based on your... Age, your health condition, all of that information, we can safely rule out cancer. So don't worry about it. So we didn't. And then going into the ER that day, the thought never crossed our mind. We were joking in the ER. She was feeling a little better. They gave her some pain meds, and we were just normal Saturday, other than sitting in a, an ER, you know, for pain. Um, we thought they were going to say gallbladder or appendix right. or even something less, uh, serious too. So we had been there so long that I, I needed to go use the restroom. So I did that. And when I came back, I heard the nurses saying, Hey, there's her husband. And I guess at the time I was thinking, what were they, why are they looking for me? Like what is going on have they been in the room? So I walked in the room and they came in shortly behind me and there were two of them. One had been the guy that we had been dealing with and then just a completely new guy who I'd never seen. Nurses, doctors? These were both doctors. The the nurses uh, were, they didn't come in. So it was just the two doctors. And the first thing out of their mouth was, it doesn't look good, Mm. uh, which is kind of the namesake of this podcast. And I've explained that, that it's just, um, we've all heard that phrase. So uh, we know that it's followed by bad news. And so they proceeded to tell us after they did the CT scan, they compared her CT scan from that day, to the MRI that they had taken back in June of 2016, and it had grown significantly. So we're sitting in there almost a year after they told us, this is not cancerous, it's just fibroids, benign. We can remove them, it'll increase your chances of conceiving, you're good, like you don't have to worry about cancer, to now we're sitting in an ER, 11 months later, and they're telling us, no, you definitely have cancer, your next step is to go back to the OB oncologist that you had seen before and get a plan of action, like a, this, a treatment plan. Go back to the person that had misdiagnosed you? Yes. So, oh, well, crazy. just not necessarily. They, they just said, you need to go see your gotcha oncologist, like, she was the only one. We can't on, help you. This is out of our area of right, expertise. Right, because it's just an ER. So yes. they, they, you know, they're not even technically diagnosing her. They're just saying, hey, based on your right. CT scan and your previous MRI, it's grown significantly. You need to go see a specialist. You need to go see an oncologist. And she was the only one we knew. So we went back. It, she confirmed, she, yes, you have you have cancer. So, of course, we had a lot of questions. Like, we thought that you had ruled out cancer. And, you know, of course, it's just one of those things. You're just caught off guard. So you mm-hmm. just, you want some sort of answer. And there's not, you know, there's not always an answer. Even the doctors aren't always gonna have an answer. So it's very frustrating and difficult to, to kind of go through that, that situation, not having answers and not knowing the why of it all. So she says, yes, you definitely have cancer and our plan is to operate as soon as possible so this was she was diagnosed on the 13th of may and the that was a saturday sunday monday is when this was so two days later and they scheduled her operation for the 22nd so less than 10 days after she was diagnosed they were planning to operate
1: So that kind of pushed the severe, like made you realize the severity of how bad that was. It
0: clicked in, in our brain that, okay, they're being very urgent about this. And if there's a sense of urgency when it comes to medical professionals, then it tends to give you a sense of urgency or a sense of not fear, but. This is a priority. This is the yes, next. Yes, absolutely. You need to do. Yes, this is we have to do this. So, if you can imagine that week of waiting for that surgery and just the emotions that we went through. Of course, you know, I didn't talk about it a lot, but when they tell you you have cancer or you're in the room and they tell your your loved one that they have cancer. And she was 27 at the time and I was 29. And, you know, you, you begin to question how does a 27 year old get, but you know, how does a two year old get cancer, an infant have cancer?
1: So let's pause right there and talk about the, like from where we are. So I see this, you know, these plans being made, you know, you make a decision as a, as a couple to start this family, to start your life, um, in this direction, and then you hit the first roadblock you hit is this this pain, this um, kind of small, uh, seems like a, at the time was a small insignificant matter. Like you go in, you have a little bit of a scare. You guys are able to, you know, the, do- the doctor gives some brevity to it and, um, you know, you're able to move on and then jump forward a year and you're hit with the exact opposite expectation of what you've been told so even from a like just getting that diagnosis like um i want to go through the emotions a little bit of like i mean first of all we put a lot of trust in doctors so how is that even going back to the same doctor that had misdiagnosed you or giving you a almost a false sense of hope Um, going back to that person and then also being able to having to trust that person that they were making the right decisions for you medically there. Cause that, that is, is, it sounds crazy to me. Like how, yeah. how much hope did you have to have? How much like explain that, that feeling? A
0: little yeah. Bit. So, you know, going into it, it's one of those things that at the time you don't realize how uninformed you are. And we were going into it very naively, I guess, if I can say that just because we didn't know what to expect and you know you really don't until you're given a diagnosis like this you don't think about it there are tons of things that just never cross your mind of course you hear about people going through situations like this and having diagnosis like this and At the time, we didn't even know if it was going to be terminal. But you hear about this stuff for other people, and it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Like you're watching this happen to someone else, even though it's happening to you. Um, So going back, you know, you asked, what was that like to go back to the doctor who had misdiagnosed before? You know, doctors are human. And again, at the time, we were so uninformed about what was going on inside her body and what was going on uh, just in general that we just wanted to figure out what was going on yeah. and that doctor was the only one that we knew of that could help us right we had never heard of cancer treatment centers of america or johns hopkins or md anderson or any of these world-renowned cancer cancer research research facilities. So we just wanted to go somewhere that we knew this doctor practiced this type of medicine. They were the only ones that we knew. So going back at the time, of course, we had, you know, I said we had questions, and we wanted to know, hey, like, how did you miss this? How did you not order a biopsy back in June or July of 2016? How did you not see that her tumor markers were elevated, which is something at the time we didn't know what all that meant, but over the course of
1: they're, they're, you know, looking at your age and stuff like that, like you said, there's there's two year olds that have cancer. There's babies that are born with cancer. So it's like, so, so yeah, for
0: definitely for the type of, I, I think, and this is of course me speculating, I'm not a doctor, but the type of cancer that she had, it was not out of the question for that doctor to have made, that sure assumption or prognosis so that in the first place The anger and the exactly and right like so, so yeah i mean we were angry for sure we i i was i wanted to have words with that doctor caitlin was very gracious and she definitely was upset as well and angry and confused and frustrated but again to her it was this is the best chance right now that we have to figure out what's going on so just to to kind of get back into the story, you know, she said, Hey, we're going to operate the 22nd. So there was a sense of urgency there. So that week, we continued to go through all of the emotions that you go through. I can remember the day that she was diagnosed at the ER. We never went home. We went to Caitlin's parents' house to kind of let them know, Hey, Caitlin was diagnosed with cancer today. And of course you, you know, you go through the whole crying and holding each other and all of that stuff that I'm sure that anybody who's ever been given a terminal or even just a cancer or scary diagnosis in general has had those same moments. We just never went home. We never felt like going back to our house. So we stayed at their house. They, we set up in their spare bedroom and slowly moved in with them, <laughs> just bringing right. a few clothes, just what we needed for the, you know, the week we would go to the house and bring it back. Over time, we eventually ended up living with them for a while. But during that week of waiting for that surgery, Caitlin and I had some super deep moments together and just very intimate conversations with one another about our love for each other and just like what the next chapter in our life was going to look like. And it was very humbling and... I'm very grateful for that time. Of course, over the next year and a half of her fighting, we were going to have tons of these moments, but I can remember that we, maybe not the exact moments and conversations. I do remember some of them, but not all of them. But what I do remember is just the very specific feelings and emotions that we shared together. So fast forward to the 22nd, we go get her prepped for surgery and the doctor tells us that it's going to be a six hour surgery and we were going to be waiting in the waiting room with friends and family. Anybody who has ever had a loved one having a life changing surgery that lasts for any amount of time can tell you that it is the longest amount of time that you will ever experience again it was supposed to be a six or seven hour surgery we were there with friends and family playing cards playing whatever we could do to take our mind how off long of. did that end up at having taking so they have this system where You have a number or whatever, and it flashes on the screen, and then you would go up, and then they would say, okay, go here, and then they'll talk to you. So they put our number on the screen, and instead of having us go to the little area where they were supposed to talk to us, at two hours into it, they had us go into a separate room, and just immediately my heart sank, and it felt like another one of those moments when the two doctors on... The day she was diagnosed, walked in and they just said it doesn't look good. I honestly thought that the doctor was going to come in, just like you see in movies and TV shows, where they're, you know, it's the cameras like through a door or something, and you just see the doctor telling the family that they lost the the patient, and then just everybody breaks down. I literally thought that that's what was going to happen. Yeah, sure. And so we're sitting in that room and it's just me and her mom and dad and sisters, and her mom is crying. Her dad was praying. I'm seething at the table, just like angry at God, you know? And the doctor came in and thankfully said that she had operated and closed her up. It was still not good news she told us that the cancer was so severe it had spread so much that it was in her omentum, which the omentum is to my understanding, just a layer of fat that is between your skin of your stomach and your mm-hmm. muscles. So like your a- abdominal muscles. So so
1: basically this, the MR, all the, after the MRIs and CT scans, like, uh, they got in there and it was more than they could handle. Yes. Okay.
0: So what she did is she opened her up, just a, a vertical cut all the way up her stomach to her chest. And they saw that it had spread to her omentum, which basically means that it was stage four cancer Yeah. and that it was beyond her scope of ability to remove any of it just
1: sti- she, it's sticking to everything but yes just basically a, a big yes. tumor mass
0: so yeah and it's at this point we still weren't sure you know kind of where it originated or any of that mm-hmm. stuff she she took a sample for biopsy and then stitched her up yeah. so there are tons of details that i'll probably get into in the future but just for the sake of brevity we'll kind of move past some of that stuff but that was the initial surgery and it was Supposed to be six hours. She was back there for two or three hours. We got the biopsy back and we found out that it is a low grade non serous, not serious, but non serous carcinoma that originated in her ovaries and had spread to her uterus and obviously to her omentum. It was in her colon. So it was just all over her abdomen. Gotcha. So
1: you can you, they they're able to tell by the type of cells where it originated from. Yes. And that that was ovaries. Mhm. Hmm.
0: So now we have this even larger sense of urgency. Right. Stage 4 cancer. We have to move faster than it does. So she has recovery in the hospital, or you guys get the outpatient, or, or? yes. Yeah, so she 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 moves to a hospital room. We're there for several days, uh, up to you know a week. In that time, I'm pretty broken. She's pretty broken. Her parents are obviously broken, and sisters uh, are pretty broken as well. But like I said, there's a sense of urgency now, and we have to figure out what our next move is. Obviously, we're not staying at the hospital we were at because they, like I said, it was beyond their scope of ability um, to deal with it. They talked Mm -hmm. to us about car tie. They talked to us um, really just about car tie. All the other research was done by my father-in-law. He's really good at just sitting at a computer and reading facts and statistics about different places and things. And so I basically was like, listen, Dave, I can't handle this right now. I'm not good at it in the first place. I'm definitely not going to be good at it now. And he graciously took that that responsibility off of me, just so that I could be present for Caitlin. And I think this is important to mention too, just because it gives you an example of what type of emotional state she was in and what she was dealing with the day after her surgery. You know, the doctor tries to explain kind of what happened in the surgery to her after this. You know, she mm-hmm. wakes up, but she's still on. Uh, anesthesia and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's, she doesn't really understand what's going on. So she, she comes off of it the next morning, me and her sister stayed the night and it was just the two of us in the room, if I recall. And the doctor came around to make her rounds of, you know, to see her patients and to explain to Caitlin while Caitlin is lucid, what happened. And she comes in the room And explains it. And Caitlin says, I feel like you're about to tell me that I have six months to live. And the doctor says, well, no, we're thinking more like a year. And so immediately Caitlin has a panic attack and starts to hyperventilate. And it literally was like you would see in a movie or something. Like I had never seen someone hyperventilate in real life but it is actually like that like you just can't breathe can't get oxygen and so I had to sit and and hold her and like walk her through breathing breathe in breathe out until she had regained the ability to regulate her own breathing. So that just gives you an idea of kind of what she's looking at going forward and kind of the bleakness of the situation and the hopelessness of what we were about to walk through from the point of view of a medical professional. Right. Or that particular medical professional, because in a minute we'll talk about CTCA and the doctor that we met there who gave us so much hope in spite of, you know, letting us know, Hey, this is a serious situation, but there's still hope. All right. Let's pause there. And let's
1: talk about, you mentioned a couple emotions already. I want to touch base on that. Like you said, um, you know, you had this week of kind of like, I don't know, like the first wave hit almost. And you had this week of, you know, togetherness at your in-laws house and just kind of deep conversations. And then you had this, uh, moment um this almost apex in the waiting room where no one knows what's going to happen while the doctor is about to talk to you so um what was that i want to know what that i'm sure a lot of people would like to know what that was like emotionally um and spiritually like do you what i different people react in different ways so this is a time where you like you said you were you know, you, did you buckle down in prayer? Did you press in? Did you just like, I'm angry at you guys? Like, there's no wrong answers. There's no reactionary that is not justified, but I think it might help somebody out there to know, like they're not alone in how, how
0: you reacted or what your thoughts were mentally or emotionally or spiritually. Yeah. So that I would say during the week of her recovery in the hospital, after that first surgery, I'm still not at my lowest point yet. We definitely spent a ton of time in prayer. We had pastors coming in and out daily, and friends and family from the church coming in and out daily, praying with us, uh, spending time with us. We had praise and worship music on constantly. She had made a playlist of just specific praise and worship music that she wanted to hear on a regular basis, so we were constantly playing that, constantly praying. But at the same time, in my heart, there was a ton of anger. There was, and uh, just this—I mean, was it just directed everywhere?
1: Directed at God, the doctors, the medical science in general. Like, well, how, how does that feel?
0: J- just uh, no. I would say directed towards God. And in, in fact, I was m- more thankful for medical professionals and kind of of the mindset that, well, you know, thanks, no thanks to God for. Doctors, because if any body or anything is going to get us out of this, it's going to be them, and not God, because obviously you know God wants to see us suffer, or this wouldn't be happening. And of course, I, I intellectually know that that's not true. Like I know that that's not right, yeah. but at the same time, we're humans, and we have emotions, and we have fears, and we have anger, and. Um, feelings and so your intellect doesn't it, always in charge right yeah so I had this basically to, to make it simple like my feelings were hurt like I didn't feel like God was protecting us like I didn't feel like I was you know we were giving our lives to the church and giving our lives to the to furthering of the gospel And here we are in this situation. And so I didn't feel like God was giving us our due. You know what I'm saying? Like, Like, hey, I left this side exposed because I thought you had my back. Right, exactly. And so, you know, there was also that going on that turmoil going on inside of me absolutely and thankfully you know i had you and i had reno and i had he's our lead pastor and i had blake who is our associate pastor and And good friend and yeah very good friend (laughs) we'll talk to him on the podcast in a few weeks and um i i had all of all of these people around me that I could be open with and tell them, Hey, right now I'm not very happy with God. Like we're not the best of buds right now. Like I don't feel like he is a loving father at this moment in time. And they could rally around me and let me know that, Hey, that's, it's normal, man. Like, you know, you're going through a traumatic event. This is one of the deepest valleys you'll ever walk through. So all of that to say that if there's any emotion that anybody feels through these deep, just horrible situations, they're not out of the norm. Like you, you go through a myriad of feelings and emotions so because there would be there would be times when we would be praying and I would be thanking God going you know thank you that I do have these people in my life and thank you that I have a family that is willing to be here and that they live here close to us so that they can be here so that we can leave the hospital and go back to their house instead of our empty house so you know there's there's a whole whole lot of
1: emotions that you go through right I think that sometimes you feel like, as humans, we're not allowed to be mad at God. And it's like, the Bible is full of examples where that's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Job was the exception. Job. Yeah. But even he got a little chastised. like, you know, <laughs> where where were you when I was making these stars, you know? Right. Like, yeah.
0: oh, that's right. You were nowhere, Job. <laughs> exactly. So, you, you know, I, I would probably say I relate more to David, where on one hand, you know, one day I'm like... Oh God, why'd you leave me? And then two <laughs> days later, I'm like, Oh man, thank you. I feel so close to you. Weren't these 47 songs for you? <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> so I, I, you know, anything that that you you might be thinking or, or feeling is definitely valid, and God can handle any emotion that we we have, and He intercedes for us and and loves us so well. And uh, you know, you can you can look back and see that. even even today, I struggle with just to be completely open and honest. like there's there's depression that I struggle with. And, and I still struggle with these emotions of, of feeling like, you know, God, where have you been the last two years through Caitlin's sickness and death? And, and I will come back and just go even through all of this, I know that you are still good, that you have a plan and a purpose. I know that you're going to use me and use this situation to speak into the lives of so many people. And so
1: that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, so let's jump back in. You just, you know, uh, got this, uh, kind of like, weren't expecting this, but it sounds like it was, it was Caitlin prompted where she's gotten a pretty much a year a twelve-month sentence um, of life.
0: Yeah. So, fast forward a little bit. We'll we'll skip um, through some stuff at the you know the house because it's basically she goes home from the hospital and we begin to plan because uh, again there was that sense of urgency in us now where. Uh, we're going okay. Stage four cancer. Like I said, we have to be faster than it is, and not only that, but we have to be effective. That we it, it can't be any more of this. Hey, we're gonna open her up, see what we see, take out if you know, take it out if we can, send a biopsy if we can't take it out. We're just gonna close her up. None of that. It has to be effective treatment. Whatever we do. Every step has to be done with purpose. And again, my father-in-law Dave is a rock star. He did all of the research as far as what facility we should go to. And we prayed a ton about where we felt like the Lord would lead us to. And, you know, some people out there might be hearing that and going, I don't even believe in God. How do you trust that this facility is going to be the right one? Right. And so we we contacted MD Anderson and never heard back from them um, until after we had already, like, made it to the facility that we ended up with. We contacted Johns Hopkins, and we're actually going to fly out there because it's just outside of Washington. And so we would have had to fly out there, and Caitlin didn't. She was very weak from the surgery, so that kind of played into it. And then we contacted ctca and they have multiple facilities across the the nation here and we ended up at ctca which is cancer treatment centers of america in Tulsa Oklahoma and you may have seen commercials for them online they do commercials all the time and it's almost like you know when you buy a silver car you never really notice silver cars until you you buy one and then you see silver cars everywhere I had never noticed a CTCA commercial Until we were in CTCA and I just thought it was like on their, their TVs, they show these commercials, (laughs) but no, they, I've since then seen them all over in hotels and in waiting rooms and wherever they, they advertise everywhere. So we uh, talked to CTCA and we actually talked to a surgeon there who his nurse practitioner who works very closely with him and is almost the Robin to his Batman is who we spent most of our time talking to before we went out there. And she immediately was like, he can do the surgery. He can remove it. Right. So it was almost this, and you know, like going back to people who may not believe going, how do you trust that God is leading you this direction? It's like a, it, it was almost a gut feeling, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I know that to be the the Holy Spirit leading us, but it was one of these things where I had never felt so sure about something in my life. Caitlin had never felt so sure about something. Her family had never felt so sure about something, just from talking to this one person on the phone, his, his assistant, his nurse practitioner, we knew that that's where we were supposed to be. So we went to visit, it was Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was like a four hour drive or whatever it is. I don't even remember now. Um, and so we get out there, we go in and we meet this guy and he's like in his seventies. He's just like this super, Nice old man, and one of the things that he says to us because we told him the prognosis that the doctor had given to Caitlin the day after her surgery for for a year of life, and he said that you know we don't we don't make I don't, I personally don't don't give prognoses only God can do that so it was like an affirmation. Yeah. This guy not only. Did we feel like that's where we were supposed to be? But now he's saying, hey, listen, I'm an instrument, which was a, a direct quote from him. He said, I'm, I'm an instrument to, to help the Lord, you know, give people longevity of life and, and quality of life. And so he had told us, I wish that she hadn't had surgery at this other facility because I would do it ASAP. Right. I would go in. I would be able to get it out. But she needs time to recover. So they let her recover for a week or two. They wanted her to do chemo to try to shrink the tumor before they removed it as much as possible. So just they went, a normal
1: course of action? Yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so the way it works there is they have a surgical team and then they have an oncology team, which is just the medical side. And then they have what's called the tumor board, which is just all of their doctors sit in a room together every week and they discuss each other's patients and they bring them out. They put their... This is obviously all inside my head the way this works but there literally was a room that said tumor board and behind it and I saw you know the door open at one point and there's like a conference table in there so I'm just picturing like this group of doctors sitting around a, a big table that that's a conference table and just one of them slams a file on the table with somebody's name on it and they open it up and they discuss this patient and they all decide together what they think the best course of action is right and so whether that's immediate surgery or six rounds of chemo and then surgery or whatever that may be they talk about it and then they make a decision so
1: caitlin's decision for what by that tumor board was one, uh, one round of chemo before surgery?
0: No, so it was or, actually, I think it was uh, six six rounds of chemo, I believe, and then they were going to bring her back for surgery. Okay. So she did the first round of chemo and could not tolerate it. So the way it was going to work is we were going to go out there for chemo. It takes like 12 hours or something like yeah. that to, to administer Cycle it through your system. Yeah. So yeah. she was going to do the chemo. We would come back for two or three weeks and then go and have the second round come back for two or three weeks, go back, Sure. do the third and so on. So and you're so looking forth. at a, a different surgery, like
1: several months down the
0: road. Yes. Okay. So she comes back after the first chemo round and is just basically bedridden for the entire time. You hear how bad chemo is. It's basically a, a, a poison that we use as yeah. medicine. And so she she just says, "I can't. Like, I can't tolerate it. I I don't want to do it again. My, mm. I don't f- even if this works. I have no quality of life. I can't do anything. I I don't even feel like sitting up in bed and talking to you." So she was really pushing for natural treatment uh, aside from surgery. Sure. She, she wanted to push the surgery date and then try to do natural treatment or whatever. And at the time, I, I just kept telling her, you know, I understand chemo is rough. Like, I obviously, I don't know. Yeah. But like, I you know, I know that uh, I see it, the effect of it in you. But this is, you know, God gave us doctors. God gave us scientists. Yeah. This is common grace like this is what we have as a society developed to fight cancer this is the best thing that we have to fight cancer and she just could not tolerate it so we went back and talked to the doctor again and he agreed to to do away with the chemo fine we will just we'll go ahead with the the surgery he was still 100% confident that he could remove at least 90% of the tumor. Sure. So, he decided to to move up to surgery, give her just another week to recover from the first surgery and the chemo. So, at this point, we're like a month out from her first surgery and they schedule her second. Or this it would be her first at CTCA, her second overall surgery. We, you know, we're gearing up for that. We pack bags cuz it's going to be you know we're going to be sleeping mm-hmm. in the hotel sure. there at, at, at the this treatment center for several weeks, and the day comes and it was supposed to be a long one, like eight hours or yeah. more. So, just to you know touch back on the emotions that you go through in that type of situation, sitting in a waiting room now waiting for a phone call, and the waiting room for surgery there was thankfully almost a a very private thing. Like it was a, I mean, it was a waiting room, but it was an actual room. It wasn't like a lobby and, but it was big and they had couches and TVs and tables. And so we had, even in Tulsa and again, to, to touch back on the being thankful for the family and the friends that we have and the church body that we get to be a part of just crowding around us, even though we're in Tulsa four hours from home they drove and met us to be with us in the waiting room just to wait for her that's it for today for the rest of the story join us again next tuesday and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and if you're feeling especially generous please review us so we can be seen by more people thanks for listening and see you next week